The scripture tonight is Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. The word of the Lord. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go um, to my friend Johnny Skinner's 45th anniversary of his ordination. Johnny's the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist over in East Knoxville. And it was a a wonderful little service. Uh, Johnny got up and and shared a bit about how he came to be involved in gospel ministry. And uh, it happened in 1968 in Harlem. And there was a lot going on in 1968 in Harlem, and he talked about how uh, he, he was a man searching, and for a while he was very drawn to the teachings of Malcolm X. He uh, said for a while he, he was attracted to the teachings of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, he said for a while he was drawn to uh, the Black Power Movement, and just searching all these different places. And... At one point, he, he went to a kind of an organizational meeting with, uh, I think, something that would eventually become the Black Panthers, and he watched in, in, in horror, in a way, as uh, one of the men uh, struck one of the women who disagreed with him. And when he asked why, uh, why he did that, why the man hit him, he, he said that they were practicing uh, revolutionary morality, uh, that there was a new morality that was befitting the times and befitting the revolution that they were a part in. And that's eventually what led Johnny, he said, to, to move towards the church, is that he, he didn't like that kind of revolutionary morality. He was drawn towards a revolutionary way of relating that he found uh, in Christ and his people. And it's interesting, now that we're coming to the end of the book of Galatians, that Paul decides to talk of it about a revolutionary morality, about the way we are to live in community. The book has been about freedom in Christ. We've spent the summer looking at that, and he spends the first four chapters laying a theological foundation for why we're free in Christ, what the cross has accomplished, uh, how we're no longer uh, enslaved to this idea of Jesus plus that we're somehow in right relationship with God because of our faith, plus something we do, and we spent all summer kind of unpacking that. And then in chapter 5, Paul starts talking about how the antidote to 
being under the law is being in the Spirit. And he developed that. Verse 16 of chapter 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, what he does in the the next section, and we won't cover the the benediction uh, together. You can read that on your own. That's a good review of everything in the book. But what he does in the next section is start to sketch out what spirit people look like. And and in the Greek, that literally is the idea of the the pneumatikoi, the the, the people of the spirit, people in the spirit. Uh, Spirit people, how do they treat each other? What what kind of revolutionary morality uh, do they live under. And he begins in verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Now, the the, the Greek word for uh, conceited doesn't mean pride, really. It has more the idea of being hollow or empty or somehow not actually having what Father Rohr talks about is, a, is, is a, a true self, of not being clear about who your true self is, the core of who you are in Christ. And one of the things that happens when you're not centered in Christ, when you're not living out of Christ, when you're not following Galatians 2.20, that wonderful text about it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, one of the things that happens when that's true is that we are prone to envy. We are prone to jealousy. And when we're jealous, we start to pick at each other. We start to provoke each other. So one of the marks of a community that is being led by the Spirit, a community where the members are walking in the Spirit, is is there is a relatively little amount of, of envy of each other, of jealousy. Now, we know we're not supposed to be jealous, and so I think we, we sort of block out that that capacity, and, and normally I think we'd say, well, I don't really struggle with that. But what, what I'd suggest to you is that jealousy and envy in our relationships can seep out in ways that we're perhaps not that aware of. Uh, gossip being the number one way. Uh, gossip is, is almost always an expression of jealousy. Resentment, which is often the Underneath gossip is an expression of jealousy. Judging another's motive or intent can be an expression of jealousy. Being unable to celebrate another's achievement is an expression of jealousy. One of the characteristics of men and women who walk in the Spirit is a centeredness in Christ, a peace in Christ, so that I don't envy what you have, I don't compare what I have to what you have. Well, then he goes on, he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brothers, uh, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what, what, what is the apostle envisioning here? What, what kind of circumstance? He doesn't seem to be thinking about Uh, the kind of event you see in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, where there is a uh, a man who is uh, in an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law, and he's been addressed, and and he's not doing anything about it, and he's sort of just flagrantly walking in sin before the whole congregation. This isn't that kind of 
situation. This is a situation where you've been caught. It's, you've been ensnared against your will by an aspect of sin that you want to deal with, but you're having a hard time dealing with. And the word transgression is, is rather vague, so it, it, it's kind of open to a lot of things. Now, what are some examples of this? And what are we supposed to do about it? Well, the first thing that we all think about uh, is, well, this is referring to people that get into illicit relationships. Uh, this is referring to sexual sin. That's when you get caught in transgression. And of course, of course that's true. But the word is much broader than that. And, and I think as we're in community together, as we're trying to walk in the Spirit together and live as Spirit people with each other, we, we need to become more aware of the kinds of traps that we're prone to fall into. And that's one of the things a good friend does for you. That's one of the, the reasons why we push hard into community is that you need people who know which transgressions will ensnare you and when you are being caught. We might be caught in the snare of self-pity. We might be caught in the snare of victimization. We might be caught in the snare of a critical, judgmental spirit. We might be caught in the snare of a legalistic, graceless devotion. We may be caught in the snare of wounds from our past that somehow distort all of our relationships. We, we may be caught in a fear that keeps us from following God. I think these come under that broader definition of, of transgression. And so the, the idea here is that we move into each other's lives, we know each other well enough that when we see someone not following Christ, not responding to Christ, because we've been ensnared, we speak. Now, how do we speak? It says we do it gently. And then in verses 2 to 5, it talks about being aware of our own vulnerability, our own temptation, and that ultimately we're to do this to restore him. It's a Greek word that means to mend the nets, to, 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 to fix the broken bone. It's a gentle healing word. Now, I'll give you an illustration of, of how this happened in my life uh, today. Um, we're celebrating our ninth birthday as a church, September 23rd. And that's always a fun day. We go to the park over in Park Ridge. We have a nice meal. And we go up to the pool and we have baptisms. Uh, and, and those are always a highlight. We have the testimony shared. And it's, it's, it's a great day. I love it. But this year, uh, I, I've, I've shared that we're doing the baptisms and that it's time to be baptized and encourage you to be baptized if you haven't been. But no one has responded yet. And so I, I started to think about that and asked the Lord, what, what is he doing there? And I sent a little email out to, to a friend asking, you know, what do you think is going on here? And uh, is there some other way we should celebrate these things? And Well, she knows me pretty well, and she could read behind the lines and, and saw a little way that I'd gotten ensnared. And, and she wrote me a, a note. She said, so what if we don't have any baptisms? 
Is that really critical to a celebration? If we don't have anyone who signs up for baptism, are you inferring that we've failed as a church? Or that you failed as a pastor? Is that an underlying issue, Doug? I may be wrong, and I hope I am. This question, can you think of a creative way to celebrate should we not have baptisms? Well, can't we just celebrate being a wonderfully loving community that is open, honest, real, and broken? I mean, please, we've had a heck of a year, and we're deeper in community and richer in the body of Christ, either because of it or in spite of it. Losing, Mary Tarwater shifted our spiritual foundation, don't you think? And yet we've gone deeper into tend to the city, supporting the swim team and all the broken families with deep losses and seeking the peace of the city. Isn't that enough to celebrate? I certainly think so. I'm humbled by the amazing young folks in our body. They rock my world. We're an amazing place in this community of people who are broken yet willing to be exposed and honest and begging for love and guidance. So my question to you is, do we need baptisms to celebrate what God is doing in our sweet body? I think we've been baptized by life this year. And the fact that we've grown and deepened the roots of a body of believers is enough to celebrate. <laughs> I don't want to get emails like that every day, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that was a good one. Because there is a little legalistic part of me that maybe you don't pick up, and she knows me pretty well, and there's part of me that thinks... Oh my goodness, it's been a year and no one's getting baptized. And for a good old-fashioned gospel evangelical like myself, that's a big F on your scorecard. (laughs) That's a bad performance review. The Lord's going, F, no baptisms. So there's some legalism there that she helped me pick up. So here's the question that, that I think we ought to ask each other. And We talk a lot in our church about who your people are. Let me ask it like this. Would your people catch you when you're ensnared? Are they close enough to you to catch you? Do you have anyone in your life who would catch you? Who would write an email like that? Do you want to be caught? (laughs) I would argue that one of the main reasons we don't push into deep community is because I don't want you to catch me. And if I get close enough to you, you might write me an email like that. Well, verse 6, he changes gears entirely. um, And he's talking about another characteristic of a spirit-filled community. He says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, what is that all about there? Well, it's interesting. The the words for teach, have uh, we get our word catechumen or catechesis from it. The one who's taught is the one who's catechized. The teacher is the one who's catechizing. And the word for sharing all good things is the Greek word for fellowship. So, There's this idea that the community together shares and blesses the teachers in the community with all good things. And perhaps that means with the reports of the good things that God is doing through the teaching. And this is important for teachers. 
And, and I, I think we don't normally think to do that. Someone told me, again, if you're a guest here, I don't mean to be using names you don't know, but this uh, Mary Tarwater is a powerful teacher in our church for many years. She passed away in December. And, and one of you was working through your grief and shared with me that one of the reasons why you were so grieving was because you never told Mary how much her teaching ministry had changed your life. I think that's part of what Paul is, is saying here. There's a, there's a fellowship between teacher and community that you share in together. And, and one of the ways you bless and encourage the teachers is by sharing good things with them, sharing the beautiful things that's coming out of the teaching. I think of dear Lynn Charles, who has been teaching our kids for nine years. Nine years. And... I, I just wonder how often we've said, thank you. I wonder how often we've said, this is what my child's learning under your teaching. And I think of Mark Pate, who just teaches this Bible study on Monday nights, year after year. I think of Suzanne Hassel's taught many of you. Uh, Stephen Otis is becoming one of the teachers in our, in our body. God gives every community teachers do we share the good things that the teaching is, is doing with them? Well, he may be thinking of teaching when he moves to verse 7, uh, or teachers. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I think one of the things he's, he's pointing out here, and I think he begins with the idea of the teacher and he moves to a broader uh, uh, perspective, but I, I think he's acknowledging the fact that the people that provide leadership in the body the teachers and other leaders often feel like they sow and sow and sow. They invest and invest and invest. But you wonder sometimes what it's reaping. And do pray. David, David prayed for the board meeting on Tuesday night. Uh, we do it once a month. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. Pray for Lawrence as he guides us. Uh, pray for these new leaders because when you step into that role in the church, it's like going into, behind the, the restaurant into the kitchen. And all of a sudden, a great restaurant that you love and always gives you great service, you realize all the stuff that's going on in the, in the kitchen, and it, it's not always as fun. And so one of the things that a spirit-filled community does, evidently, is, is it has this perspective that if I keep sowing the gospel seed, if I keep sowing faithfulness, I keep sowing prayer, I keep sowing love, I keep sowing good things, there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. Yesterday at the little celebration for Reverend Johnny, uh, he invited a friend of his to speak, Reverend uh, Middlebrook. And I got to sit at the table with uh, he and Johnny, and that was a, a real treat. Reverend Middlebrook is 
71 now. He uh, was uh, with Dr. King on the day he was shot. He was in D.C. 50 years ago, and he was in D.C. last week. And uh, I asked him, we were talking about the ministry, and he's preparing to step back and retire a little bit. And, and I was listening to him, and then all of a sudden, before I was asking him a question about endurance and ministry, and then, then they asked him to stand up and speak. And it was interesting because he hadn't realized he was the keynote speaker yet. <laughs> but he is so gifted, uh, and he'd done it a few times before, that he, he stood up and... I'll tell you, it was one of the most moving sermons that I've heard in a long, long time. And he talked about, and this is, this is a man who's, you know, seen a lot. Seen a whole lot. And he talked about not growing weary in the walk. That that's one of the characteristics of a spirit person is that there is this spirit-given confidence that even though you can't tell what you're sowing is reaping good, that God one day will bring good from it. And I'm reminded of that little, little children's story. Uh, I, I can't remember what it was. I need to get grandkids soon so I can get back into children's literature. But it was that little one where a toad wakes up in the morning after they plant the <laughs> seeds and he keeps asking, where, where is it? Where is it? Why isn't it grown yet? Why isn't it grown yet? Where's the plant? And I think that's how we are. We sow these good things. We sow them into our lives. We sow them into our kids. We sow them into our friends. And we wonder, like, like a little toad, where's the plant? Spirit people have a different sense of time. Uh, Harold Middlebrook would say, and both Harold and Johnny are these beloved, godly, older pastors who've suffered so much. And guess what, friends? Their churches are shrinking. Their salaries are being cut. And Reverend Middlebrook, Reverend Middlebrook understood and preached so powerfully that the reaping is not something under our control. But that if you reap in the Spirit, if you sow in the Spirit, there will be a harvest, whether you can see it or not. And so I encourage you, beloved, in the things that are just so slow going for you right now, the things that are so hard for you right now, the the meetings that you're having that you don't want to have, the conversations you're having that you don't want to have, the character issues you're wrestling with that you don't want to wrestle with, the people that are in your life that you don't want to be in your life, Keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep sowing to the good and you'll reap a harvest. Maybe not on your timetable, but on God's. And then he ends, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think he's, I think he's saying, this is one, of, one thing you can sow. If you get to a place in your life where you're discouraged and you're feeling sorry for yourself and you feel alone in the journey and maybe you feel afraid in the journey 
and you don't know what to do, and maybe you feel that cloud of self-pity and victimization come over you, and you start to isolate, and you start to pull back, and you can feel the sucking sound and the whirlpool, and you start going down and down and down, go do something good. You know, when I get bummed out and discouraged, and I've shared with you, I have a tendency towards that. I struggle with melancholy a lot. It's easy for me to go down that whirlpool. The best thing I know to do is call someone and check in on them. To go think about somebody else. To text one of my kids. To smile at a waiter. To ask the guy at Kroger's how many hours he's got left. It's one of the greatest ways to crack out of the cycle of self-pity. Do good when you have the opportunity. Let's pray.